Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to episode 156 of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Sean Wisniewski of The Corner Workshop, and I'm here with my co-host, Yami Plotke of The Penultimate Woodshop. Good evening, Sean. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah? It's, it's, uh... Staying out of trouble. You? Good. Yeah, yeah, staying out of trouble. That's, that's the goal. Um, yeah. Well, let's just, just dig right in. Uh, what you got going on in your shop? In the shop, I've been playing with my die grinders handle and die grinder. Um, I may have mentioned this before, but I have typically done, uh, the power carving I do with the rotary tool as opposed to the grinder, I, I do both. But the portion I do with the rotary tool, I was using a Fordham. And when I first saw people using a die grinder, I kind of turned my nose at it because I thought the the machine itself was too big since it's attached to the head, basically. Whereas with the Fordham, you've got the flex shaft and a much smaller handle. Um, and I found, I've had the Fordham for a couple years now, and I found that it has some Definite advantages. You can make it spin in either direction. Sometimes that's handy because you'd want to be, you know, uh, you want the, the bit to be spinning away from you in, in different directions or into a curve or something. So having the flexibility to turn the bit in both directions is very nice. Okay. Um, the downside is even with the flex shaft, I was constantly finding that I was twisting and knotting the shaft. Like it was a pain in the butt to hang the motor in a spot where it was convenient to do all the carving and not have to either move the tool, uh, excuse me, either move the motor or move the workpiece because with the motor staying still, I couldn't get the handle in the positions I wanted without mm-hmm. kinking the, sh- the shaft. Yeah. So is this like sometimes you're holding it like an ice cream cone and sometimes you're holding it like a pencil? Um, you basically always holding it like an ice cream cone. Like I hold it with the handle in my palm and okay. the, the business end of it sticking out kind of between my thumb and my forefinger. Okay. But sometimes it's pointing up. Sometimes it's pointing in. Sometimes it's point left, mm. point right, point down. You're, you're orientating it around what is a curved surface because you're doing carving with it. So, sure. um, it moves a lot and the flex shaft I found was like a, like having a leash on in terms of getting that kind of mobility. So mm-hmm. I have a number of the Milwaukee 18 volt tools. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that they had the fuel die grinder come out, the fuel is their version of uh, brushless. Okay. Um, so when they had an 18 volt brushless die grinder come out, Huh. It was lightweight. It was nicely balanced. I didn't have. To, I could get just the bare tool because I already had plenty of batteries. Um, so I, I figured, what the hell? Let me try it out. Um, and it's got a very long, narrow. Uh, I don't know what you call it. It's like the business end of it, and then at the very, <laughs> the very end is the tip where you put the bits in. Um, right. It's just this long sh- shank, and I think that's and the handle is well behind that shank, and it's designed so you put one hand back on the handle and one hand on the shank to, for two-handed control. Okay. And I thought it would work nice to have a handle coming out the side. Like you would have some of my sanders have a handle sticking out the side or my grinders all have a hand sticking out the side. 
Sure. Um, and that's what really got to it is I'm used to power carving with the grinder with the handle at the side. So I figured, yeah. why don't I try this with the handle on the side? And what I found was that the diameter of the end of the die grinder was too small for one of the normal handles to fit. Like when I say normal handle, a lot of, a lot of drills have an accessory handle that slides yep. over and has a big loop and you twist it and it tightens the loop around to grip the mm-hmm. handle. Mm-hmm. Well, those, I have one of those. I, I grabbed it from work cause they, no, no, cause we had it. Um, <laughs> and it was to go around like an inch and a half to an inch and three quarter diameter business end of a drill. And the end of the die grinder was just over an inch. So I could not tighten it tight enough to grip properly. It was just, it was floating. It wouldn't even touch on all sides. So I thought, you know what? Why don't I just make one out of wood? So (laughs) I took two pieces of three-quarter inch plywood that I'd actually already laminated together. They were a sample of, I don't know what I was doing with the mock-up. I have a bunch of, I don't know what I was doing, honestly. I think it might have been for the entertainment center, but I'm not sure. It was just this little scrap. And it was like three inches wide by about 12, 13 inches long. And I found a hole saw bit that was just bigger then the diameter of the die grinder and I drilled a hole through it. Um, I lined the inside of that hole with uh, vulcanized rubber because I have samples of that from work. We have self-adhesive <laughs> rubber and I just took a piece and I stuck it on the inside. And um, I actually, I have one layer of rubber around the entire inside and one layer of rubber only around the half to f- get it fit just properly because two layers around the whole thing was too much and one layer on the whole thing wasn't enough. Okay. Um, and then I stood it up on my table saw and I took two passes with the blade right through the end. So now when I squeeze on the end, it clamps down around the circle. So there's like sure. a little bit. It's an, it's an eighth inch bit, but it, I didn't take a quarter inch out. I, I took probably three sixteenths of an inch out in the gap. And okay. I drilled through and I've got a carriage bolt with a nice plastic knob that I can twist to tighten it up and loosen it. And that's how it attaches to, um, to the die grinder. Right. And then... You know, I'm not going to hold this big blocky uh, <laughs> plywood thing. So I took it to the band. So I, I took the Makita one I had that didn't fit. And I just very roughly traced the shape of the handle portion. Right. And I took it to the bandsaw and I, I rough cut it out. Um, and then I threw it in my pattern maker's vise, which is phenomenal. I've got it fixed <laughs> now. I might not have mentioned that on the show. I, after I broke no, it. No, last we it, talked, you were bolting it through. It has been fixed. It works so. very well again. Um, I'm quite Excellent. pleased with that. And using it to do this carving. So I, I clamp the handle in the pattern maker's vise and I'm using the die grinder to carve it and I'm flipping it up and down and all around. Um, it, it's fantastic. I can't say enough good things about the pattern maker's vise. I'm absolutely loving it. Um, <laughs> so I've got the die grinder handle. I thought it was done being shaped, but as I've stopped to think about it, I think I might do a little bit more shaping on it, but it's, it's all nice and rounded and it fits comfortably in my hands now. Um, the end, like if I if I would hold it on my hand, the the end that would stick out opposite my thumb, not the not the end that's near the die grinder, but the far end. Mm-hmm. That end I still need to do a little bit of round over because it's just this big square blocky thing, and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually contact my hand when I'm using it, so it's not that big a deal. But I want to just make it a little prettier and and smooth that out. Right, that's um, just the fatter end. That's like the heel stop exactly you know, for your that's hand exactly to slide right off it. it. Right, right, right. Um, so once I get all that carving done. And I would say I'm about, eh, I'm probably about 80% done with the power carving. 
Okay. And I'm trying to do the power carving exclusive. Well, I'm trying to do the carving exclusively by power and exclusively <laughs> with the die grinder to do it as an experiment in <laughs> learning to get my learning the die grinder. Because some of this sure. I would have I've been tempted to pull out a rasp because I get a better feel. I think I can do a, an organic curve better with a rasp because you got two hands on it. You're kind of working it around. I'm just sure. a little bit more comfortable using a rasp to do a curve. Um so they're not quite as flowing as I would like, but it's practice. So I'm forcing myself to do it with the die grinder. I want to get better with the die grinder. Right. And you're using uh, this battery-operated die grinder to do it? Exactly. Excellent. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm the, looking at a, a picture of it. It's, um, it's a funky-looking thing. Yeah. You know, as far as – because it's a battery-operated one. I know it – you know, just because it has to have a handle where the motor is and the battery behind it. But then, yeah, I see I see exactly how you're fitting it on there. Um. So what kind of it is that a variable switch on that or like just a pressure switch kind of thing where you pull it f- harder or tighter and it goes a little faster? No, it is just it's a, it's a it's thumb it's a thumb switch on or off. Um, oh no way! And yeah, and it's a couple things like using the. I do- would think the, like those are like dentist tools where they kind of can grind <laughs> they can wind it up, you know, so you can go. And, and and like you know, get a. I mean, that would be a finer cut because it's spinning faster thing. But this is just on or off. Exactly. Really, it's, really, it's no different than a grinder. Like exactly, a grinding it's wheel exactly grinder. true. It is just like a grinder in that okay. sense that it does one speed and it's on or off. And I somehow I cannot okay. tell you what the speed is. Um, sure. But what I found using it compared to the Fordham, couple pros and cons. I think the die grinder is more pros than cons, but. The Fordham, um, it is adjustable speed, and it's adjustable speed based on a – there's a dead man switch. So you're pressing a, a foot pedal to keep mm-hmm. it on, and yep. um, you adjust the speed. God, it's been a very long time since I used it. I think there's a knob on the motor you set to adjust the speed. Um, and then, as I said, the motor – you can switch the motor so that it'll run clockwise or counterclockwise. Oh, okay. The, with the Fordham, not with the die grinder. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. When I didn't have the pattern maker's vice, that was very convenient because I could only there were only so many ways I could approach the workpiece, and it was nice to be able to switch the direction of the cutting head to my advantage based on how I, I was approaching the workpiece. Yeah, that I think would be very advantageous. That's um, nice. However, the die grinder would be would be better if it had two directions. No question about it. But what I will say, at least on the one piece I've made so far, is that the pattern maker's vice almost <laughs> makes up for it. Because yeah, it has been, now instead of having to reach around it, you can just flip the damn thing over. Exactly. It has been so <laughs> easy to reposition the workpiece that I've just managed to live with the fact that it only cuts in one direction. Um, so that, you know, if you were to get into it now, if you were to already, if you were to use... If you already have Milwaukee batteries, yep. go with the Milwaukee die grinder. It's a very nice tool, and if you buy the tool only, it's like half the price of the Fordham. Oh, um, nice. So I think when you look at the value, it's a better value if you're already invested in the Milwaukee system. If you had to buy batteries and a charger and stuff, the, the math is different. Um, but if you're just going to buy – if you already have the tools, the Milwaukee makes a lot of sense. If you don't okay. have any Milwaukee tools – I think it could cut both ways, or you could always just break down and buy a plug-in die grinder. And the plug, I don't know, like it probably wouldn't matter at all, 
but the fact that it's it's a cordless, I like. Um, all my grinders that I do the power carving with are cordless. And I've just gotten used yeah. to not having to worry about a cord when I'm doing those kinds of things. I do them sometimes in the shop, sometimes in the driveway. Um, most of the time, a cord would not be in the way, but every once in a while it is. And the last thing I want is to catch a cord and dig into a piece. Right. Um, so is I've just gotten... here because it's battery powered? I mean, you're hanging a, the power end behind your hand there. I mean, it's got to balance differently or it something. Is, I, I've never used a corded die grinder, so... Okay. I'm going to say, yes, it is absolutely balanced differently, but I can't speak to exactly what the balance of a corded one is. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking that the balance of a corded one would vary based on how much cord you're pulling or how much cord is hanging sure. on it. You, it's a very dynamic thing, the balance of a corded tool. Um, right. Whereas with the, with the cordless one, I have two different size batteries. So if I put the Monster 9 amp hour battery in it, the balance is a little different than the regular 5 amp hour battery. Um, okay. but as long as I use the regular size batteries, it, the balance is absolutely consistent no matter what I'm doing with it. And even if I switch yeah. batteries, it never changes the balance in use the way a cord can. Oh, okay. I can see that. Um, so for that reason, I think that the cordless, it, just in terms of the power carving, I think the cordless tools are a better option. And I'll say that these days with the, with the, uh, the brushless motors and the, the long capacity 18 volt batteries I'm getting absolutely satisfactory run times out of them I have I have a Milwaukee cordless grinder and a Makita cordless grinder and then this this die grinder now mm-hmm. if I started with a half full battery and I ran it out and I put a new battery on it but I've got you know three of one battery and two of the other I think but as long as you've got one in the charger and and a couple of batteries if you're in that system the batteries last more than long enough. Um, I don't have any issue with the battery life. Sure. So that's um, worth it. I mean, the, the only thing I get it, I mean, it, that's if you need a die grinder, I guess. Oh, everyone, like the sure, thing everyone needs doing, a die grinder. Everyone needs a die grinder. <laughs> but like, I, I, um, I've never had a system like that. Like my dad has the Milwaukee system. He did it when, when they had like the 32 volt big battery yep. before they came out with their current thing. He he bought into that, so he's got the sawzall, circuit saw, drill, impactor, uh, and something else. Anyway, with that whole kit that he got, and now that they've got the new thing, I think he picked up a drill or something with the new kit, which it's a you know that better brushless uh, and better battery. Right. But, um, I it's just one of those like semi single use tools that. I mean, it is a very specific use. You know, it's it's for doing uneven surfaces in general. Like just absolutely, and going out in small bits and and digging in and in, in some naturally curvy way. You're not making straight lines with that thing. No, no, you're not ever. Uh, and if <laughs> so. this was a, you know, what are the tools I should what are the tools I should start out with discussion? I would not yeah, be mentioning the diagram. Not the diagram. But, but if you want to do, you know. If you want to do the kind of stuff I'm doing, I think it's either a die grinder or a Fordham is a necessary tool to have. You could do it okay. all by hand, and there's absolutely a place for hand rasps. I I couldn't I would never want to give them up at this point. I'm just I've I've eliminated them in this project just for practice, but I think they bring a lot to the equation. But it's like, do you want to join with a joiner or use a plane the entire time? 
right. the die grinder, the Fordham, it it cuts down on the amount of time you have to spend getting it to your final shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's a definite useful tool in that arsenal if that's the kind of work you do. The pieces um, that Rebecca DeGroote does that we were talking about a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, while a good portion of it is done in the lathe, a lot of the shaping she does off the yeah. lathe is all done with a Fordham. Um, Absolutely. And you just you couldn't do that kind of shaping. You could, but again, you'd have to use a rasp, and it would be much slower. And for hers, I think it would actually be harder with a rasp because she's doing such delicate pieces mm-hmm. that with a rasp, I think you'd be more inclined to put, to knock the pieces out of your hand because of the resistance of getting the rasp started. Whereas with the die grinder, you keep the RPMs high and you put a very gentle touch on it. It, mm-hmm. it's removing so little wood that it's not pushing the piece out of your fingers because I don't recommend this, but she was talking about how she will often hold the pieces in her hand while mm-hmm. she's shaping them rather than try mm-hmm. to clamp them up because they're such tiny little pieces. There's a right. certain danger to that, but I don't think you could hold it in your hand strong enough to get a rasp back and forth and do it by hand. I think you'd have to do those with power. So it's yeah. n- it's not a it's not an every person tool, but I think within the <laughs> within the right aspect of the craft, I think it's a very useful tool. For sure. For sure. I wasn't trying to dog it. I no. just, uh, yeah, it's uh, maybe someday. Can, right I, now, can I talk I, about this for a little bit more? Go for it. Um, I, I want to change topics a, a little bit, but still on the same piece. Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago about how I picked up the foam interface pad from 3M. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the equivalent of the foam interface pads that um, Festool makes. Right. So my intention on this piece is once I finish the shaping, it I'm going to give it a sanding. It doesn't, frankly, it's it's smooth enough off the die grinder that I can hold it comfortably and it's not bothersome. It would work just fine. But I'm going to sand it and I'm going to try to sand it exclusively with an old DeWalt uh, random orbit sander I have using okay. the 3M pad and the... What's the sandpaper company they have at Home Depot? It's red. Uh, uh, that's um Diablo. Is it Diablo? So, it? That sounds about so. right. Yeah, I think so. They, as I was mentioning, Diablo or the, the red sandpaper company from Home Depot. I think it's Diablo. <laughs> has a mesh sanding paper that seems very similar to the Abernet paper. Hmm. So I wanted to. I'm going to try the Diablo mesh paper with the 3M interface pad on the DeWalt sander versus the normal, you know, Festool crap I usually use. And I want to see how that does because while I swear by the interface pad on the Festool sanders, if you remember our discussion from when they came out with that limited run 5-inch sander, they -hmm. talked about how it was more powerful than the standard ETS-125. Um... I feel the ETS-125 is woefully underpowered because the minute you take it off a flat surface and you're trying to use it with an interface pad to sand, say, a half round on an inch and a quarter wide board, it doesn't... I don't know what dynamics change within the pad, but it no longer rotates. It just wobbles back and forth and it doesn't sand properly. Hmm. Um, I, I know you, you've mentioned that before. Yeah, I am optimistic, maybe naively so, because I've not done this yet. But I'm optimistic that the gearing in the DeWalt will allow the pad to continue to spin when it's only partially in contact. 
So mm. if it works the same way, I'm going to say it's still fantastic because it's probably – if you consider the cost of the sander and the paper and stuff, it's probably somewhere in the ballpark of 50 cents on the dollar compared to the Festool if it gives the okay. same results. But I'm thinking that it might actually give better results if the interv- if the pad actually rotates. So that's what I'm what I'm going to continue to use this die grinder handle for is a little experimentation in sanding, and I will surely certainly let everyone know how that works out because there's a lot of good things about the Festool stuff. But if I could get the same results out of another brand for less money. Why not? Um, the, sure. The festival is not the be all end all, so I'm I'm very interested to see if I can get this to work. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing it. And as I've been watching your little your die grind handle come to come to form on your social media feeds, it's uh, very interesting. Well, thank you. Very, not not something I I go into often, so it's very interesting. You know what's nice about the die grinder too? For just a second, uh, one last sure. thing before we move on is <laughs> what. With the with the bit stick staying in the die grinder, you got the battery charged and the handle's just sitting in the vise. It's one of those things where if you get five minutes, you just go in the shop and you turn it on and you go zip 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 and you put it away and you go back to what you were doing and it just kind of clears your head. Oh, okay. It's one of those those Zen moments in the shop. Yeah, I I have been known to come down here and just stick a board against a stop and plane some shavings off it. There you go. Yeah. Just for no good reason. <laughs> just like, uh, look at that over there. And yeah, kind of sets the mind at ease. Yeah. Sometimes. But yeah. No, very cool. I mean, it's, again, not something I, I uh, get into, but uh, maybe. Maybe someday. Anywho, when you come out to do the spackling, I'll show you how it works. Oh, you know, <laughs> as much as you try to guilt me, uh, not, 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 I don't think I'll make it in time. I'm sorry. I'm just Looks too like fast, you're well on your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well done. But you know what? I'm done. Well, God, you know what? I'm not done, but I'm done inside the room, which is I'm happy for. So hold on, hold on. It, That's fantastic. Go cool. as someone who makes their living dealing with the outsides. Mm-hmm. I hope the outside is at a minimum watertight before you started working on the inside. The outside is, uh, yes, and I mean the inside outside that makes. No sense no. whatsoever. Okay, so first order of business after we stood the walls and got windows in was to seal it in house wrap and seal the windows and everything. So yes, that is sealed, not sided, but sealed. Oh, oh, nobody's siding. Yeah, I do, but not yet. I only finished so designing the- my house because when I went to refinance a year ago, the inspector made me. I'm not going to leave it like this. <laughs> it says house wrap Fine. exposed. I don't know. But uh, no, I mean like the inside of the room as opposed to the existing house, which is outside. The The wall that I redid that splits the two, I've finished the inside and it's actually painted now completely. Uh, and, but I haven't done the common side of that same wall, which so this is, is adjoining the, wall, the existing room. This is the wall That's that the was – That used to have a sliding door in it. It was originally an exterior wall. And yes. then the sunroom got put on, so it became the interior wall between the sunroom and the main house. Correct. And you're now talking about the main house side of that wall? Of that wall, yes, because okay. I stripped it to studs because there was a bigger header than I need. I filled in underneath it, and I re-drywalled that wall. Okay. But I, have, I haven't I have finished that. I've, I've like done a first pass on most of it except the corners, and I still I, – because we're going to repaint the room and everything, but the focus was on getting this room inside done and get him moved in. 
right. before we actually do that. So anyway, so it's painted and I'm on to now, uh, I've got a, a pre-hung, um, door for the closet inside there. I'm doing a non-traditional, um, barn style door for the actual entryway to the room, but there's a closet in there. And so an Oak six paneled solid core pre-hung door, just bring it home from the big box and just have to finish it. Okay. So does it I, need to I be po- sanded or is it, does it come sanded? It, it is awfully smooth, but I touched it with 220. Okay. Like it, it's not perfect, but it, it, it running your hand on it. You don't notice absolutely anything. There's no, nothing raised about it. It's actually done pretty well, but just for sanity's sake, I went over it completely with 220 and I, I, I brushed on just with a foam brush, some poly, um, uh, I can't remember the manufacturer. It's actually upstairs right now. Um, but um, uh, I would say Millhouse, <laughs> Min, Minwax, um, just like standard whatever satin poly. Um, but I, I wanted to ask a question: What is your go-to on that? I mean, imagine if you will, this is a door. This is a stock door. Uh, all you're looking to do is put a finish on it. It's oak, and I don't. That's the only time I wanted to bug James Wright, and I haven't yet. It's like this is the only time I touch red oak is when it's a <laughs> veneered door, and I'm hanging it. Like I'm not anyway. I'm All not right, really so working with it. We're I'm just putting finish. a clear finish on it. Just a clear finish. What do you do? What do you do? Are I'm you going to finish it like, hanging, or are you going to you put it on sole horses? I actually have it. Uh, no, I have it apart on horses right now. Um, and it springs a, out of the ha, spring. How many? It's a six panel door. It's a six panel door. Standard door to 30 inches wide. I would probably, knowing what I know now, <laughs> without question, I would start with two coats of half-pound cut shellac. Really? And, yeah, um, they would, I would rag apply them, and I think that the inside of those panels where the moldings meet the panels, that mm-hmm. sucks to finish. It does. Um, I think that the hand application of such a thin application of shellac will be pretty good at not building up there and require very little in terms of between coat sanding or other cleanup. Um, if it was just my wife and I, I might continue to finish it with shellac Though that would depend on how frustrating it was to apply in those little crevices without building it up. Mm-hmm. Um, See, and I just don't even. I I have shellac. Uh, I'm looking at a can on my shelf right now, but I don't use it all. Well, that often. if you if you're looking at a can of zinser, you got to cut is. it. You cannot use it out of the can. You'll, you'll sure. it'll only aggravate you. Um, <laughs> you can use the woodshop widget to figure out because the zinser products are usually three pound cut in the can. Sometimes they're two, depending on which product it is. Okay. Um, but you can find those things on the interweb and then use the woodshop widget to dilute and it'll tell you how much denatured alcohol you need to add and just mm. get close. It's not an exact thing. Yeah. Um, so that's, but you know, I have kids as do you, so I would probably be inclined to go with polyurethane over the shellac. Now okay. the polyurethane, I guess some of it comes down to how those inside crevices are. Cause when I think about the door, the flats are easy. The the subtle raised panels on the panels is easy. It's mm-hmm. I'm assuming around the edge of the raised panel, there's like an OG. 
It's a yeah, it's a rough OG. It's all it's it's not an applied thing. It's a solid piece. Right. It's the, molded into right. the yeah. uh, into the rails and styles. Yes. Um. Yes. And that's probably got a quarter round followed by a little fillet followed by another little fillet at 90 degrees. So you got these nice, yeah. nice and tight corners. It's, it's a pain in the ass. Um, so yeah. I would probably do that. Um, I think I would brush apply full strength polyurethane out of the can, like a Minwax mm-hmm. or, um, Varathane makes a nice polyurethane. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go with an oil-based poly. I don't like water-based poly. Um, and I think I think I'm good enough with a brush that I could get those inside things acceptable. They wouldn't be great. I might have to touch them up a little bit, but they would be acceptable. Um, yeah. If the ragging on of the shellac went exceptionally well, I might try cutting the polyurethane and rag applying it. Okay. I'm not That's what the only time I think I rag apply it is if I did thin it out. Yeah, oh yeah, you'd have to thin it out if you're going to rag apply it. Yeah. Um I've and I probably ra- I probably either cut it like 50/50 or maybe even two parts to what uh with poly using do you need mineral spirits to cut it? I forget Ooh. what the appropriate solvent is. Yeah, I'd have to check. Um read the back of the can, it'll tell you what, right. what the solvent right. is, but I would probably go either 50/50 or two parts solvent to one part polyurethane. Mm. Um to rag apply it. Again, those inside moldings, I'm not I'm not sure what that would that would determine the entire thing is whatever the easiest way to apply onto those moldings, that's mm-hmm. what I would do. Because the the flat sections are easy. Those are um, super easy. So first first pass I did the the inside equivalent of the door. The okay. the actual the visible side when the from the room is actually down right now. But I did take a first pass, sanded it, and I I, I went right to poly. Because mm-hmm. again, I don't, I don't think of shellac, but it went out. It went on fine. I need to actually look back at it. I did that last night. Oh, I, I would, I would think it would. Part. I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting the poly directly onto oak. I don't mean to say that you need the wash. Mm, yeah, no, no, it, and, and yeah, it's just like, um, but and and the OG wasn't bad. It, it was that first coat. It was really thirsty, so you know, it didn't try to build up. And I was just looking for air bubbles or or, and really wasn't putting anything heavy on there. Trying to not put too much pressure down as I was, uh, going across it. But I was just, yeah, I didn't know, um. I, I need to diversify. I think my finishing a little bit, even on something like that. Just because shellac, what you're you're shellac, you're you're sealing it. Well, right. I mean, it's, yeah. so that's a that's a sealing coat. But then you would poly over that, even. Yeah, oh yeah, you can poly over the shellac, no problem. Yeah, just, but but why? Because poly is more durable. Yeah, exactly, the poly is going to be more durable. You right. you put, you know, like I was saying, if it's just my wife and I, I might put twelve, fourteen coats of shellac on it. Oh wow! But you could, I could do that in a day, right? Um, because it dries so dry. Exactly. Right. Uh, maybe this, two days if you flip it over, because I because you got to do both sides. Um, right. But it's not like three weeks to do fourteen coats. So, right. Um, what about what about uh, UV exposure? N- I'm gonna say that Any. I don't know how shellac deals with UV, but I can only assume okay. it's poorly. Because <laughs> I was gonna say that where this closet is, it's against the wall, and there's a window. It's so much that when the door is open. It will it will be covering a portion of the window. All right. So between the between the UV and the children, I would I would go with the go poly. poly all the way. Yeah. <laughs> but here's another thing: is my kids are big though. I mean, you got to remember. I mean, you know, my youngest is in sixth grade, so they're not like my oldest not is in toddlers. sixth grade. I yeah. 
they're not uh, they're not as bad. And we're talking about getting a new car, and they, we're already talking like, okay, we don't have to worry so much about the stains that they're going to leave and the Cheerios they're going to drop. I and mean, we passed that zone. Mm. We're into upper things. I'll have a high schooler in this room. Yeah, but larger boys still break things. Oh, they do. They do. And uh-huh. there'll be a, a fit of rage and a slam or hanging up of some girly, you know, exactly. something at some point. Sure. So. Sure. What if you did this? I don't know if this would work, but what if you took a rattle can of probably Minwax is probably the easiest brand to get this all in. I would probably stay consistent because in my head mm-hmm. it might matter. I don't know if it really does. But what if you got a rattle can of um, polyurethane mm-hmm. and a can of polyurethane and you spray the oh, the OG so around good. the different panels yep. and then you brush on the flat sections? Yeah. It, the stuff in the rattle can has to be thinned down, so I'm not 100% sure how that would work. It might not work, um, but yeah. that might be an intriguing way to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm really, I'm using the backside, because not like this is the hardest thing in the world to do. No. Um, the OG does complicate it, because the, again, the flats are super simple, but um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch how the second coat goes on, and okay. see... Um, See if I have any any problems with it pooling or anything, or you know, because that's the that's the challenge. You know, if I'm working with a brush of any sort, that it's it's in those curves in the OG, you know, you know, little cut-ins. It's gonna it's gonna want to grab and and hold it right in that in that edge if it's a little too heavy. So yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll I'll watch it and see. That actually isn't a bad idea, but I I just want to know that it wouldn't. Um, yeah, it would just kind of mix. If that was a thinner cut than what I was applying on the flats, if the, what that would do. Uh, I hmm. think it would be okay, but I, I, I'm, I'm making an educated guess there. I, yeah. it might, you but know, this is also try, try, doing pick this up inside a the room in the house, so I'm trying to keep spraying to an absolute minimum. Right, right. But just pick up a rattle can and t- try on a test piece. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Something to think about. Yeah. Also, if you, if you had an actual spray rig, that would be the way to do it. Yeah, and that's <laughs> I had to preface that with, and no spray, because uh, I don't have a spray rig. You have a cat. I do. Can you hear him? <laughs> just now, yeah. yeah. My son just came down, and uh, yeah, that says feed me, cry. That's funny. Um, anyway, so yeah, something something to look at. So did you see? I already know that you didn't. That fine woodworking has a giveaway going on. You know, I'm gonna drop names here. Last Wednesday, it. I had dinner with um, Barry and um, Mike and Ben. Okay, Strano. And yeah. they didn't mention the uh, the giveaway, so I'm sorry to say I'm I'm wholly uninformed about it. All right, and I I saw it somewhere uh, Instagram or something, but um, as I looked for it on uh, their Facebook page, it's right in the header. They have a hand tool giveaway. Um, Looks like just fill out their little form on their website, and I don't know if it's multiple entries allowed or, or what, but the it says here, the winner will receive a prize package valued at $999 from Lee Valley, containing a Veritas large shoulder plane, a low-angle block plane, a number four smooth plane, a set of three Veritas joinery saws, and a Mark Tool Deluxe honing jig. That's a hell of a kit. That is a hell of a kit. I say go for it. And it looks like it's going to be a dovetail carcass and um, their um, – actually, what is it? The, the the rip end 
crosscut dovetail saws and then their carcass saw. Is there three think, saw? I think if you buy that kit from um, from Lee Valley, it's the it's the Vic Teslin starter kit. <laughs> it might be. It really might be. Um. So I, 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 I not that I want to diminish my chances by telling other people to go <laughs> enter, but um, I say go for it. And I, that being said, I already have half of that stuff. So I'd probably even. So what you're saying, Sean, is that after you win, you're going to give some of it away on the podcast? Yeah. I Yes, absolutely. If I win, I will give away the duplicates because I have a first run of those dovetail saws. I jumped on those. And I've got a Mark II. I don't have a Mark II. I only have the Mark I and I, It's rather unhappy with it. No one needs the Mark II, but oh, it yes. is nice. Yes, yes, we do. The okay. Mark II, sure. we're talking about the sharpening jig. The Mark II. Yes, the sharpening jig, yes holds the blade at 90 degrees does it not because it, it clamps on the side yes it has a registry point yeah. in so, well how does it work so you attach a thing on the front that registers the side of the blade whether it be chisel or plain mm-hmm. um, and then that that gets removed and so when it's on the skate itself i don't think it has any registry at that point you're just pinching but, it down with screws on both sides but the, but when, the, the screws setup. on both sides clamp the sides no 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 it um it only holds like a, a platen down now you make me want to go get mine because it's not hold on real quick i'll be right back sing a song or something sing a song sing a song it's really delightful podcasting when you run away and i'm looking for it on the web no it holds blades on the it clamps on the sides it holds blades an eighth inch to one and a half inches the narrow blade head clamps them on the sides. The regular blade head clamps them from the top. Okay. Because I have the Mark I, which clamps sure. from the top. And it clamps from the top with this with a screw. And it's almost impossible to hold the the blade in the, the Mark I at the proper orientation. So. I've concluded that the standard width blade clamps with a platen from the top, as you described, and the narrow blade adjustment, which does an eighth of an inch to one and a half inches wide, clamps from the sides. Is that what you have in your hands? No. No. So the the apparatus itself is super wide. I mean, you'd have to have a two and a half inch blade. Two to, and seven to, eighths. Two and seven eighths. There you go. That's a good estimate on my eyes. Yeah. Um, you... Uh, I mean, if you push it over there, you're not centered on the wheel anymore. It's actually those screws are wider than the wheel that it rolls on. Well, yes, yes, but the you're you're looking at the standard head. Yes, and that standard head, you tighten those two knobs, and it clamps the top and bottom of the blade. Yes. Oh, they have a narrow. Blade. They have a narrow blade head, which ah. it there's a there's a I'm assuming it's a big long machine screw that you twist on the side, and it has two jaws that move in and out. Keeping the blade centered, but the jaws clamp from both sides. Okay. Um, and that's what's always intrigued me because I have the Mark I, which clamps on the top, but it's actually got this big screw with a head that's kind of loose and can technically stay still while the screw rotates. But you're screwing, you're clamping the blade down by tightening the screw directly on top of the blade. And I found that it always would twist the blade as you tighten the screw down. It was very hard to keep the blade at 90 degrees to the wheel while you were doing that. Okay. Yeah, I, I have an incomplete kit because I don't have the narrow Ooh. blade one. I only have 
the standard, maybe? I don't know. They must sell it separately. Yeah, I think the narrow one is a... Uh... I don't have the cambered wheel either. Then how do you sharpen? <laughs> Largely by hand. <laughs> <laughs> that that crutch is there. Uh, it has its uses, but I don't always use it. It's it's if even it as good as it is, it's finicky to get uh, like a narrow chisel in there. Which I guess I, if I had the narrow kit, it would be even nicer. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've yeah. Don't you don't like I said you don't have to have it, and I definitely don't need two of them. So if if I win. I'm going to enter again, just because. You know, I'm looking at it. Yeah. The Lee Nielsen honing guide is nice. Yeah, that's expensive. Yeah, it For, but it does exactly that. It holds it from the sides all the time. Yeah. Which is pretty sweet. It's the the Veritas Mark II, the base set. Oh, no, the Deluxe Honing Guide set. The Deluxe set is 124 with just the guide as $70. The guide okay. with the narrow blade holding is ninety dollars. The narrow head only is fifty. The camber roller is twenty five, and the skew registration is thirty two ninety five. Whereas the Lee Nielsen, just the guide itself is a buck twenty five. Okay. And then there's lots of different heads that fit on it. Um, hmm. I need to play <laughs> with the Lee Nielsen one next time I go to a show that they're at. Yeah, I would. I'd like to see. Um, how it may uh, may differ. I anyway. saw a prototype of it years ago at a woodworking in America, like a year before it came out, and it seems mm-hmm. to be a very well machined piece of um, piece of equipment. I believe it's all machined rather than cast. I think that's why it's so damn expensive. I believe so. It's pretty uh, pretty delicate for what it what it is. Mm. Well, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. You know what else I got? Well, not that I got it, but something I got that we I wanted to talk about a little bit. <laughs> what did you get that you didn't get? I got that I didn't get. Um, I got a square. Oh, you got a square. I got a square. Do and tell. It's not, a tr- it's not a triangular square. It's not a square square. <laughs> it's a square, the S-Q-W-A-Y-R-E square, the Tim Sway square. Say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you see these? I have seen them. Did They've been. See... I saw them when he was introducing them, and now it seems like they're landing, and everyone's uh, everyone's posting about them. Yeah. So it it is. Um. It reminds me of there. There's an old um hand like it's like a hand working hand tool um block. Like it was a it was a t- school thing that if you could cut a dado here, a rabbit here, a radius here, a this that like it was an apprentice thing. Wasn't to there do. around around a uh, WIA years and years ago? Didn't they didn't they do them? Didn't was it you? Was it Brian Brazil? Somebody didn't somebody make one by Power Tools and was just trying? Yeah, to... it wasn't me. I think it might have been Brian. But you're, yeah, yeah. I know the I, I know like, the block you're talking about. I want to say like Got Shock or Got something. Anyway, yeah. it reminds me of that only because it has some of those features built into it. Except it's it's a plate of stainless steel um, that's sharper than hell at all of its points. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it basically is 90 degrees in one corner. It that the bottom ish then goes up at a 45 degrees on the opposite side so you've got a positive 90 a positive 45 mm-hmm. um it has a one inch radius 
that's not all hemispheric. It's less than half of that circle, but it has a one inch radius dug into it. It has a, uh, if I can get light to see it, a, yeah, a half inch square cut out in it. Uh, and it has a series of holes going down it in increments. And then a couple, uh, diameter holes of three eighths, a quarter inch and eighth inch. Um, and then it's laser etched with dimensions on, on the long straight sides up to three and roughly a half on one side and s- almost seven inches on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you haven't seen the video, Tim Sway put out a great video on, on all the uses for it. Um, it can be a scraper, but you can't bend it cause it's stainless steel. It's not good for that. It won't spring back like spring steel, but, um, it is again, sharp right on the edge. Um, it can be a, a, an, all with the point of that 45 degree, you know, it is, I don't know what thickness it is, but it's pretty damn thin. Um, and then the three larger holes are dowel, um, makers. Okay. He, okay. um, he shows that in use. It's kind of cool. You know, you need like kind of a, like utility knife, sharpen a, a stick of wood, put mm-hmm. it in a drill and, 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 or bang it down. Right. And so you can kind of refine dowels through it. And then all the holes in it are uh, ways of making a wide variety of diameter radii or circles even. What, so, what do you use of the you, – you're just putting a, like a pin in one and a pencil in the other? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And the range – I haven't tested out all the ones that you can do because he's kind of got them scattered. There's a big diagonal line through and, and, then, uh, and then there's a couple coming up from the low corner uh, at different increments. At certain distances, though, I mean, he's got them at every quarter, uh, half, three quarter, and one inch off the corners. So you mm-hmm. could presumably put that that corner against something and trace an arc of that dia- that dia- uh, yeah diameter. Okay. Um, and then again, out a little further, and it's um, it's a it's a really cool little tool. Um, Tim's having them made locally or domestically, I should say. Um, I thought he was having them made right in Connecticut. They may be right there. I, I, yeah, I believe it, yeah, locally it might be a better word. Um, and uh, I know he sold out of his first run, but he's now um, looking into making a metric version of them, and it's just a cool little tool. And um, he's he's right now he wants everybody to put it through its paces because he kind of floated the idea and enough interest came in that he ran a production run, um, and I snatched it up and mine mine is signed. I think I got number one hundred twenty three. Of these, so there's less than 200 of them. I think he made the first time. Um, and, not to say I'm an exclusive owner or anything. Like no, that, but. and I say this only based on seeing what people have been posting on social media. But I believe they're all numbered and signed of this run. Yes, yeah, I believe so. I don't know if he intend, intends to com- continue that. The numbers will get pretty big pretty quick. <laughs> um, and I don't think that Sharpie on stainless steel is going to last for very long. So <laughs> you know, I don't know <laughs> if I, uh, I put I some slack over it. Yeah, I just seal it up and and call it good. But um, you know, I I I got a second one, you know, just cuz so I'm going to put it in my dad's stocking for Christmas. I figure it's something to to have and it's just a cool little uh cool little thing. I don't know, and I I'm, I'm eager to see what people are saying about putting it through its paces. Right. You know, he shows off all these things and I I said, "Hey, you know, you didn't know it was a a stocking stuffer." Um, you didn't mention that as a use, but it is. It's very sharp stocking stuffer. Um, <laughs> So you can tape it up or something because it'll it'll cut right through. Um, but uh, 
it's um it's it's impressively sharp like that you know he said like i'll use it as an all and as a joke well not as a joke when i i um i wanted to share a picture of it so i actually put it up in in my little uh sawtill i've got a little shelf in there and i just set it and just pushed down lightly and this thing that weighs probably the better part of a half pound okay and it's 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 heavy it's thick thick stainless and um it just went and on its tiny little point was standing up at an askew angle and holding. And it stayed there for days until I just picked it up. So it's, um, to me, that's, that just means it's sharp. About how thick is it? Oh, thin. Um, 16th of an inch, give or take. Okay. I mean, it's not, but I don't know, you know, where he sourced his steel. But he said stainless. Like, I mean, to be getting really good technical, I don't know what um what grade of stainless it is but it's um it's pretty awesome for what it is i like it i can't i and i haven't done much with it other than look at it but um (laughs) it's pretty it's pretty but it'll 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 go in right in there kind of right in between my marking and measuring stuff because it's exactly what it is it's a solid thing i can lay on something i can mark out positive positive things now i have other things i've got incra rulers and and jazz like that so there's there's precision otherwise but um i think it's pretty cool it's it's definitely cool um and i'm I'm excited to see that he had so much success with them yeah i um i i like i'm liking what i'm seeing right now and i can't immediately think of others but stuff like that where um woodworkers and makers alike are some of them are coming up with somewhat creative ideas and and putting them out into the world in production runs. Yeah, well, and I mean, you've got cool to Tony Rollo is a phenomenal machinist. Besides being a woodworker, and he's right. putting that to really good use with those be- wonderful planes and yep. uh, and what are those squares? Squares. T- thank you. T- squares. I couldn't think yeah. of what to call that. Thing. Adjustable squares. Adjustable yeah. squares. Thank you. Um, yeah. They're just absolutely gorgeous. And yeah, absolutely. Um, I got to get my hands on one of his squares ultimately, but um, what I've been waiting for is to to go visit my dad's place upstate, which is literally a block away from Tony's house. Oh no way! Uh, yeah, my dad apparently bought it from Tony's aunt. Uh. Um, and I think I'm just gonna steal one. So well, that's my strategy. <laughs> we'll see how it works out. Um, Take see if he's got a seconds pile somewhere that you <laughs> like not quite happy with. And no, I'll, free I'll, him I'll, that. I'll wait my turn. It's a good time to uh, to be out when we've got individuals that are that are uh, bringing new tools into the world. Absolutely, you it's know, a good time to woodwork. It is. It is. I mean, and, and and who knows what I'll when I'll find a fantastic use that only that thing does for me. Uh, I I think it'll probably be next time you use it. It might be. <laughs> I, I don't mean least, that mockingly. Like I, I think it's a no. really useful little thing he made. Yeah, yeah, and um, everyone should have one. Hit him up, get on on the second run, and uh, and make make Vance happy that his dad's making a cool tool. What I was thinking I might do is I was going to wait until Iron and Soul becomes the stocking Canadian distributor, and then I'm going to have it imported from Canada. <laughs> Just. I want to spread pay the love. for that pay for that processing perfect like I will you could quicker drive 
<laughs> to Tim's house and get it. I could probably quicker drive to Phil's house to get it. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, but yes. And there you uh, go. Yeah. So I think we've demonstrated that uh, we're both shot and it's time to wrap yep. this puppy up. We will approach again um, again soon. Uh, yes. oh, one other thing we should mention is that the auctions have already begun as of this recording for the Woodworkers Fighting Cancer. Yes. Um, and that has to be at woodworkersfightingcancer.com. I do believe. Or if not, at woodwhisperer.com slash WFC. Yes. Um, or if you put in woodworkersfightingcancer.com, it goes to the exact same link. Oh, um, there you go. And that is, that's Mark's charity that he has done for years now, um, supporting cancer research. And it's it's imperative that everyone contribute to this thing. It's just that simple. Um, there's a build you can build along, and Mark will donate some money towards it. Uh, he's got a, an auction going now. Um, those proceeds are going towards it. Just send him some money if you can't build along. I've done that in a couple of years where I had neither the time nor the inclination to build what he was building. But the point is just to, to contribute, um, and everyone should go do that. So go to uh, woodworkersfightingcancer.com and – to help mark out absolutely i've participated in the past um i made the easel the year that they did the the kids easel that was a fun little build and um yeah their goal is to raise uh fifteen thousand dollars this year and i'm just get everyone's help to uh to make that goal and all goes to cancer research yes which is always a good thing yeah so there you go we 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 talked, we shared some sweepstakes and opportunities to donate money. And, uh, I call that a success. A successful podcast. Uh, yeah. Sure. Why not? Anyway. So that brings us into our, <laughs> uh, fortnightly beer choices. It does. And so I know, it. I know you're disappointed in mine, but I am, uh, as, as we record this, I am days away from running a marathon. So I'm kind of on detox mode. And uh, some high-quality H2O is what I am. I'm really confused because every picture I see of you involving (laughs) running, you're standing there with your running cohorts drinking. That's after. That's always after. Uh, When was the last race you ran? um, uh, The actual race, it would have been uh, Labor Day weekend. So it's after that? Well, it is after that, yes. But this is this is prepared. Like I um I for forwent. Is that the proper past tense of foregone? Let's say that it is. Okay. Uh a flu shot this week. Uh provided at my office. Everyone should get their flu shots. Go get your flu shots, please. But I said, hmm, I don't want my body to be upgrading its immune system when I go to deplete it running. So I'm trying to keep it uh, keep it clean. So drink some water. It's good for you. It's always good for you. In between your beers, drink water. It's good for that, you. That is good. And end the night with a glass of water. That's important. Absolutely. That's, that's an old college trick right there. Absolutely. Tall glass of water. Very good. So how about you? Do something better than that. I, I think I have done something better than that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to recommend the uh, Too Juicy by Two Roads Brewery. I'm going to guess that's an IPA. It is. Um, okay. two, two Roads is a brewery out of Connecticut. 
They are right in, um, I don't think it's fair to say it's downtown, but in this nice little industrial area, right off I-95 in Bridgeport. Okay. Um, if you're traveling through Connecticut on I-95, they're about three blocks off the highway. It's very convenient to get to. Um, and they make a, honestly, I don't know their whole product line. I'm not sure how many different IPAs they make, but the Too Juicy is a New England IPA. Um, it's very hoppy and uh, fruity. And it reminded me of almost everything they sell in Vermont. Um, and that makes it good. It, I'm not going to say it was the best New England style IPA I've ever had, but it was very good, crisp, clean. Um, I managed to pick up a growler of it and I'm enjoying it. I would, nice. I would recommend it. If you have the chance to get it, it is a nice, clean, sweet New England IPA. I will look for it. I've never heard of that brewery, so I don't know I'm not, if there's a I, I see them on the island in you know limited releases. I'm not sure how big their distribution is. Yeah. Never know, you East Coasters. Yeah. Stay together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, that just about wraps up the show. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Um, or just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association wherever you can get your podcast. Um, that way you'll never miss one of these awesome episodes where Diami and I just talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, and while you're there, leave us a, a, a review. That's a good way of getting us in the view of others. Thank you for listening to the MWA podcast. If you like the show, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at under... At, <laughs> I've never done this before. You could follow the MWA on Twitter on at MWA underscore national, or you could like the MWA on Facebook. The best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion. Find the woodworker who lives down the street from you, put, pull this up on your phone, stick it on his kitchen table and just leave and let him enjoy um, and get a kick out of it. He'll get in the shop and go hang out later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, am... Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop. I'm at SeanW78 on uh, most social medias and uh, I'm myself on Facebook. And I am Diami Plotke. I'm at, uh, at Diami Plotke on f- Twitter and I am not at Sean Wisniewski on Facebook. <laughs> so go out there, buy new tools, support new makers of tools and put that to good work. Yeah, go make something round with a power tool. There you go. Kyle Barton here with your MWA Woodworking News. This is going to be a little bit different than my usual segment. I just uh, got back from a uh, class at Anderson Ranch in Snowmass, Colorado. The class was taught by Alia Bazzari. And it was on a Windsor chair, of course, but uh, a contemporary Windsor chair, a Curtis Buchanan design called Velda's chair. And um, there towards the end of the class, I did sit down and have an interview with Alia and uh, talked about the class. Uh, I just want to say, if you ever get a chance to take a class with Alia, please do. I learned a lot. It was a lot of fun. And we had a great bunch of guys that uh, made the class really enjoyable. So uh, with that said, on to the interview. So I'm sitting here with uh, Alia Bazzari. 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 Yep. Um, and um, I'm 
taking, a, as you might have heard from our last podcast, I'm taking a three-week intensive course, and we're building what's called Velda's Chair, which is one of Curtis Buchanan's design that I just absolutely love. It's the first time this uh, chair has been taught, and uh, Alia was kind enough to come out here to Anderson Ranch and teach us. And uh, like I said, it's a three-week intensive course where we're doing everything from the turnings to all kinds of things. I've taken some one-week courses before, and usually all the turnings and parts like that are pre-made, and you're mainly concentrating on doing spindles and the seat and things of that nature. But with that said... Let me uh, ask Alia, so how, how have you enjoyed uh, teaching the course here at Anderson Ranch? Oh, I've loved it. This yeah. is a wonderful place to come teach. This, the shop set up really well. It's, you know, There's other people making other things, pottery mm-hmm. and photography and whatever, and it's fun to be in that sort of creative environment, uh, hanging mm-hmm. out with other folks. The food's amazing. Uh, Colorado's gorgeous. I've never spent much time here. Yep. It has been fascinating. I mean, um, I think I came here... Ex- I didn't know what to expect, and I think I brought almost my entire hand tool shop with me and got here and went, wow, this place is really well outfitted. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> I didn't need is. any of that hardly. Yeah. And yeah. then with what uh, Alia brought, but uh, I was able to help you with the 5-8-inch uh, Brad Point bit, so I'm I happy I brought that. <laughs> I, had to, I had to update my tool list for this class. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Velda's chair and how this came about. I understand it was a collaboration with Curtis and a uh, designer. Yeah, so a friend of, him was, a friend of his was named Velda, um, and she, I guess, was a designer. Um, I'm not sure what kind, interior designer mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, and so she was interested in this chair and had the ideas for the chair, and so they sort of collaborated on designing it. I think it's been 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and so it's it's sort of a more modern chair than most of Curtis's work. In fact, mm-hmm. I think it was one of the very first chairs that he built that was unpainted. And um, so it's it's a neat chair, and it's it's certainly appeals to a lot of people. It's been on the back of fine woodworking and, and whatever, so it's it's a really pretty sort of, when you're designing a chair that is um, meant to be unpainted, you kind of have to pull the design back because you're sort of showcasing the woods in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of a simple-looking chair. It's a complicated thing to build, but it's a simple-looking design, and it's really attractive to my eye. I really think he nailed it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what sold me on this class because I've seen that chair on Curtis's website a number of times and. Someday I'm going to build a, something like that, and then when this popped up right. on your blog, I was just like, all right, where do I sign up? <laughs> right. Um, so, the, like I said, it's been a fascinating class, but um, tell us a little bit about your background as far as uh, um, what you do and things of that nature. I know you're a chair builder, a teacher, a dancer, <laughs> and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, when I was uh, about eight years old, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And uh, right after Mr. Rogers would go off, Mr. Woodwright, the Woodwright shop would come on. So I was just fascinated by uh, that growing up, watching watching this goofy guy on TV trying to build things with his hands, you know. And, um, it was very down-to-earth and something something that I thought maybe I could do. You know, I was interested in history. And so, at any rate, uh, my parents bought me, I was homeschooled. My parents bought me a shop when I was 16. And when I was 17, my mother called Curtis up looking for an apprenticeship for me. Mm-hmm. Um and so I uh, went up there when I was 16, spent a week, 17, spent a week with him, and we just clicked, you know. We got mm. along really well, um, and so I just, just kept going back for, you know, a month at a time and off and on for five years, and then kept going back 
after right. that to eat his food and drink his beer and <laughs> <laughs> talk. So he's, yeah, he's like a second father to me. He's a really good dude. That's fantastic. I think anybody that's seen his videos on YouTube just knows what kind of a a really interesting guy he is. He's kind of a renaissance man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen some other interviews where he kind of talked about his life when he was growing up and things of that nature. I think he hitchhiked all over the nation and stuff of that nature yeah. back in the 60s and stuff. So yeah. he's a really fascinating individual. So um, I think you kind of, we normally ask our our, uh, our guests five questions. I think you've answered the first question <laughs> right then is how did you get into woodworking okay, right, right, right so um let me uh, go ahead and ask you and we can expand on this as we go through it so what's your favorite tool well i'd have to say my hand uh i uh i've been spending a bunch of time this this week or this last couple three weeks now at the pottery studio mm-hmm. and it's really amazing to work with this medium where you don't need these tools in the way of what you're mm-hmm. doing you shape the medium with your bare hands mm-hmm. and it's just such an amazing experience um and so you know i like working with hand tools that i feel put me closer to the material mm-hmm. uh you know using a draw knife the material has a lot of control over what kind of surface you get and all that so you get this sort of very visceral feeling of this material that's a lot closer to just working with the wood with your bare hands. So yeah. I, you know, that's that's the fun of it to me. Yeah, and taking a class with you is something else to see you actually, you know, use the draw knife. I mean, no fear. I mean, <laughs> the wood is just cracking and it's making these awful sounds, and you just keep going. Yeah. That wood doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you get off all the wood yeah. you don't want and. The last shaving yeah. is the one that counts, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, you also make tools for chair makers, too. Also. Yeah, I got into that fairly early on. I was making myself a reamer, and this guy was in Curtis's shop, and he saw this reamer that I made. Mm-hmm. He said, would you make me one? And I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Curtis said, well, why not? Curtis being the you know the salesman that he yeah. is. And so <laughs> I took that job, made this guy this god-awful reamer, you know, and uh, realized I could sell them, and so yeah. I've been making chair making reamers and uh, these specialized spoke shapes called a travisher and um, tenon cutters for making special Windsor chair joints, tapered joints for the legs and whatever. Mm-hmm. And been doing that for for you know ten ten or fifteen years. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you the next question, but I think I know the answer to this already. Is who has influenced you the most? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Roy Underhill, earliest on. I wouldn't yeah. be here if it wasn't for him. him yeah. Uh, you now know. you teach at his uh, his school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he uh, he moved um, about twenty five minutes from me. He grew up in the, my hometown, mm-hmm. or the town I live in now, Hillsboro, North Carolina. And he was living there when he got the TV show. And that same day, he got the job at uh, Clint Williamsburg. He mm-hmm. was up a bee tree, and the phone rang, and he got this job at Clint Williamsburg as the head house right. Um, and so, yeah, he lives uh, 20 minutes from me, and the sh- his shop is 40 minutes from me, and I teach there a couple times a year and have since it opened. Um, and it's just been great getting to know him. He's such a generous, goofy, yeah. smart, really smart guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So he, him early on, and then, of course, Curtis is sort of the – has shaped, the you know, who I wanted to be. He, he taught me how to this trade, and he also showed me this lifestyle that I sort mm. of tried to emulate. And, um, yeah, he's, he's changed who I am in so many ways. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, you also teach at your own shop, too. You have classes there. Yeah, primarily you. I teach yeah. at my own shop now. I don't travel as much as I used to. Well, um, I'm glad you traveled out here. <laughs> I would, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. 
So, um, so uh, another uh, question we ask, or our fourth question, is uh, what is your biggest stumbling block in your woodworking, do you think? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I asked Curtis that once, and we were talking about different woodworkers and what their pitfalls were. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked Curtis, well, what's mine? And he said, impatience. <laughs> Which is ironic because everybody that's on the, you know, I'm on the studio tour. Yeah. And people come in the shop and they see this, you know, shiny, fancy looking chair. And they say, man, I don't have the patience to make this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, if my mother could only hear you. <laughs> <laughs> it does not take, it takes persistence. Yeah. But it does not necessarily take patience to become a good craftsman. Mm-hmm. At least, uh, assuming that I am one. Right. Um, so, oh, yes, I think so. <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I would say in terms of, yeah, learning a trade, that was, that was my biggest stumbling block was I always like to work fast. Mm-hmm. And the work suffers sometimes for that. Of course, on the, on the other end of that, I work fast. I knock work out the door. You know? Yes. And so that's an advantage if you're trying to make a living at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, uh, I feel like in this class I keep bringing up the rear and it's like, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I see him look at me, and he's going, he's measuring that? <laughs> In 16s? <Eights? laughs> right. So so anyway, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll, uh, I'll step out a little bit and say, yeah, that's close enough. Right, Go right. Go for it. So our next question is, um, how has the Internet influenced uh, your work or your business? Probably more your business than your work. Right. At this point in time. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm a Luddite. Mm-hmm. I do not enjoy being on the computer. I don't enjoy writing on it. I Well, it's useful for writing. Um, but, you know, I don't get phone calls anymore. Mm-hmm. People send emails. Uh, every once in a while I'll get a phone call from somebody uh, that, I, that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all my work comes through that website. Not necessarily that they find me that way, but they hear about you, and now that's your business card is your website. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, for a long time I didn't have PayPal, and I've got PayPal now. I'm on Instagram, you know, yeah. and so it's, you know, I end up spending quite a bit of time doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't detest it, but it's not the part of my life that I love, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's amazing that. You know, you can get on Instagram. I've only been yeah. on there for a year, year and a half. Right. And, you know, suddenly you've got followers in Australia and Croatia and, like, all these places that, you know, yeah. how would you ever reach these people 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. I'm shipping tools all around the world, you know? Right. And that wouldn't have happened before the Internet. It's yeah. just amazing how easy it is to sell stuff that way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's great. Right. It's really great. And so, so what is your website for those that might be interested in tools or taking classes or buying a chair? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's handtoolwoodworking.com. Handtoolwoodworking.com. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Um, so our last question, and uh, this is a new one for us, is what's your groove? What do you like to either listen to in the shop or maybe outside the shop? But, you know, what's your groove? In terms of music. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've always been a bluegrass music listener i grew up in that area and my neighbor played guitar growing up and Mm -hmm. uh i've learned to play sort of backup guitar for old-time fiddle tunes which is sort of the predecessor of bluegrass um so i'm yeah and then i'm so i've become a dancer 
for the last 10 or 15 years, and that has influenced my musical instruments. So now anything that's sort of like good dance music, blues, R&B, uh-huh. you know, jazz, any of that stuff is I love yeah. listening to, but bluegrass is sort of the, the go-to music. Yeah, well, I yeah. noticed when I first uh, discovered your YouTube channel, you do have a little dancing clip on there. <laughs> and, uh, I go, yeah. man, that guy can move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love to dance. It's yeah. so much fun. Well, that's great. My mother always said that if I could learn how to clog and turn on the lathe at the same time, I'd have the best road show in the business, you know? <laughs> yes, you would. Yes, you would. Well, listen, uh, Ailey, I want to, I wanna, you know, thank you for sitting down with us. And I want to encourage anyone that's even remotely interested in chair building to, to take a class from this man, visit his website. I've learned so much over these past uh, three weeks. We're actually sitting down on the uh, night before the class ends, and um we're in the shop, and I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> but I, I do want to appreciate you sitting down with us, and uh, look forward to catching up with you in the future. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right. Thanks. Yep. Finally, do you have any news or announcements for the MWA community? If so, send me an email at barton.kyle.d at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram at barton.kyle.